0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
1: Coming up to 7.06 on CJAD, welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by FL Fuller-Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And tonight on the program, we're going to talk to Mohonad Al-Barachi of Sweet IQ. They do uh, marketing analytics. They
2: do. They uh, they take information on li- online on, on the line. Jeez, sounds like the, <laughs> <laughs> the movie we kept with... Uh, on the internets. On the internets. Uh, the stuff out there that people kind of go into their computer. For And they translate that into enough information so that it drives traffic into the stores and into for uh, people to buy product. Uh, Super interesting. A lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes that we're not even aware of. All right, and uh, coming up, uh, well,
1: let's let's start with some of the entrepreneurial news items of the evening. Uh, let's talk about peanut butter. I I I love incorporating peanut butter into my day. So whenever we can talk about it on the radio is a, is a good day. And uh, and there's a, an innovation in the world of peanut butter. There
2: there is. I mean, everybody's used to the sticky peanut butter or the crunchy, whatever it is. It's it's that sticky. You spread it. It's great. So what uh, th- this uh, this uh, entrepreneur actually, it's a it's a CPA that kind of left his job to go do this said, you know what, there's got to be a better way. There's it's, it's filled with calories, a lot of oil. What can we do to make it a to make a different in our health conscious world? And he said, you know what, and his family is in a bakery, so he has a kitchen, he can experiment, said, we got to find something. We, so he basically took out 90% of the calories and made a powder peanut butter, so it can be used of which he says it's, it's maybe less so for the spreading and put on bread, although you can do that, but. He said, think of the ingredients, all the stuff that's baked with peanut butter that you don't have to put in all that, that it really calls for more the flavor than anything else. Mm -hmm. So he said, you know what? In this health conscious world, I'm going to cut out the calories. We're going to keep all the flavor and we're going to make it even far far easier to bake because it's in powder format. You can measure it. You can do. So it's something that... That is just so simple, and and can be certainly it takes a uh, you know some energy and time and effort and some skills and in the in the kitchen to to put it in this form. But it's brand new. It addresses today's society desires, and, and I think it was ingenious. And he believed in it enough that he quit his job as a CPA. Uh, he, God knows everybody loves to be a CPA, no question. But he left it, and he's he's making a quick go of it. I, I think it's phenomenal.
1: Uh, another interesting product. Uh, two brothers took their cooler, modified it a bit. For about three hundred bucks, and uh, long story short, uh, they're now worth four hundred and fifty million dollars.
2: They, this is a story of if you can find the craziest idea, and make a really high end product out of it. There are people in this world that have nothing better to do with their money than to buy it. And certainly fanatical, you know those that are that are real hobbyists, I mean in this case, they're dealing with you know certain fishermen that they appeal to that community and said, you know what, here's a cooler that's gonna last all day on a boat or whatever and and they just built this this monster cooler that just does it all for you. And I I think it's not so much about the cooler itself. It's more about the fact that there is a market for everything, but not necessarily. I think the low end is where you're going to have so much competition. When you hit the high end and you hit something that nobody else would in their right mind dream about making because it's so out there, uh, but then price it high and make make it a good quality. You can't make it cheap. There's an absolute audience for it. And we see that here, you know, we've talked about manufacturing in Quebec, Dan and we hear, you know, nobody does the basic manufacturing anymore. Here, it's more the custom product. It's more the high-end product is what we've seen over the years when we interview entrepreneurs. Same case here. It's a high-end product that there's an absolute market for. And, of course, once it catches on, it catches on like wildfire. And a couple of interesting stories about the power of the Internet
1: uh, this week. So let's start uh, with with this. And um, how is the how is big data really uh collecting massive amounts of data Uh, how are people putting that putting that to work for them
2: well, I think, and we're going to hear a little bit of that when we talk with uh, Mohanad of Sweet IQ because that's part of their business. But we've spoken about big data before, Dan, on the radio, and it's about it's about getting tracked. You know, forget your forget your privacy. You know, anything you do on your phone or on your computer, whatever you're searching, there is somebody, somebody, or something, or some algorithm out there that's tracking what you do. If you have ever noticed that when you call up any website and you see these side banners, and it happens to Uh, You know, in in one case, maybe uh, I know I was, I was booking flights on Porter uh, a couple of weeks ago and now on the side of a few sites I've been to lately, you have these, these Porter ads on the right. Mm -hmm. It's amazing what they, they track of your, of your activity online. So the internet of, of things which is is really a, just another word for people capturing big data because there's a lot of information that can be used, but used really accurately, used really precisely, and really target your potential customers. If you wanted to target 40 to 45-year-olds in a certain income range that like to spend on travel... You, there's that information out there. You can target these people so directly. It's absolutely amazing. You can maybe even find out the pricing that they end up looking for because they do search online. They do look at certain price ranges. So you can even target your 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 price range for your products. I think it's 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 quite something. Again, you know, it's it's privacy is out the window at this stage. But you know what? From an entrepreneur's aspect, if you can find and target your market so accurately, that's awesome.
1: Mm. Yeah, I was just uh, sending emails back and forth about upcoming vacation, and then all of a sudden, on the other platform on Facebook, there you go, ads uh, ads all about vacation.
2: which is kind of creepy. But you know, but also kind of convenient, and but very convenient. There's yeah. no question about it. And and then the question is, how do you make it work for you? And you know, we're talking to Sweet IQ uh, right after this with Mahanad. Uh, I'm sure he'll uh, give us a few pointers on how that happens. I'd rather
1: have uh, at least ads that uh, that I can find somewhat useful than ads that are not useful at all. Um, here's a quick story about the power of social media now. And, and this is always something, this is something I say almost daily. It's a kind of a, a mantra. Content is king, right? So this, uh, this, one of the biggest Facebook pages, I guess, in Canada is a Halifax
2: raw pet food store. How do they do it? It's, it's amazing. He, he took this raw, basically health food for pets. So, you know, the humans, humans, like we are, I hope, homo sapiens, we're all into the health phase. No question about it. Now, how does that extend to pets? Well, it's probably not a lot out there that has a lot of health. So he said, you know what? Not much competition. I know what's right for what I would want to put in my body. I've I've had a dog for X amount of years. Uh, this is the gentleman from, uh, from the Halifax uh, company called Wizard of Paws. And th- he just said, you know what? I'm going to go health for dogs. And he's going to, and he created these, you know, the, whatever blogs or whatever Facebook postings that it's, I guess it was so, there was so, such little out there for this. It just caught on like wildfire. Now there's a lot of people that love their pets. I mean, I don't have a pet, but I know so many people that can't live without their pets. So there are millions and millions of people out there. And this guy got 850,000 likes a Halifax company that's writing about health food for, for, for pets. That's awesome. The question becomes, well, now that you do that, you gotta, you gotta be able to react. You gotta deal with it. Uh, and as you know, I mean, Dan, you're, you're in this business too. How do you deal with such a, a monster, you know, monster reply, a monster following on social media? You just, you gotta attack it. Gotta hire a social media guy, right?
1: That sometimes they have to, yeah, for the, there's putting out good content and there's, policing it. And that's a whole other challenge. Um, also, uh, I'd like to get to uh, to, to more um, in the airline uh, business and uh, foreign ownership. Uh, is this going to ensure more competition or is this something that the industry has been uncomfortable with in Canada?
2: Well, the, right now, uh, airline ownership, you're only allowed up to 25%. Uh, a foreigner can only own up to 25% of an airline. Now, there, there are some smaller airlines that, that are in in and around Canada. And and I'm talking Canadian rules. So 25%. I understand the protectionism. I understand trying to keep things local, but the reality is there's funds that are needed. There's capital that's needed and capital isn't always in your back door. It's not always in your backyard. I mean, it, 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 there is so much money out there beyond the Canadian borders. It can absolutely help. And, you know, we always see the, these fairs in the States, low costs and it's great. And people travel all the time by air, uh, here, and we're such a, a wide country it's amazing but the the fares are so high there's got to be room for low cut but they need people need capital these new airlines need capital and there's money beyond the borders that uh, i think i understand it could be a limit go up to 49% if you don't want to lose control but allow it to get higher because otherwise you're leaning on you're leaning on taxes you're leaning on the people uh, look how much money that they put into air canada it, there, there's got to draw the you got to draw the line somewhere Coming up, we'll uh,
1: profile Mohanad Albarachi of Sweet IQ. They do marketing analytics. should be a really interesting conversation. See uh, how, how people collect data on us and how people uh, can, can market specialized things to us in a very effective way. So he's on the way.
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
1: 721 on today's entrepreneur inspiring stories from outstanding business people dan delmar and fl fuller landau's josh miller with you and our guest this evening is mohanad Albarachi of sweet iq mohanad welcome to cjd
3: thanks thanks dan thanks josh great being on the show i appreciate you guys having me
1: so first question of the evening is the easiest tell us about yourself and about sweet iq what do you do
3: Sure. Uh, I'm uh, the co-founder and chief executive at SuiteIQ. Uh, IQ is a marketing automation platform made for local marketing, basically just to take all the jargon away and really boil it down. You know how you use your, your phone or you just go online to try and find a restaurant near you or a restaurant in Montreal, a spa, whatever all the pin placements that happen on the map uh, is effectively powered by our software. So we help big brands, marketing agencies, increase foot traffic to their store by leveraging local marketing. Uh, And we do this across... North America. So big brands like Bell Canada, Canadian Tire, uh, Domino's Pizza, AMW, these are all the brands that we power.
2: Just before this segment, we we were talking a little bit about big data and, you know, tracking it and 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 having entrepreneurs use it to their advantage. Is that what you're doing? Are you basically assembling the big data, the the kind of the, the footprint, the online footprint that each consumer uh, I guess leaves behind and and following it for your customers?
3: Yeah, I think the the uh, the the lingo of big data is one of those terms that's perhaps a little bit overused, and we think about it in terms of big data is very useful if you know how to make sense of this information. And so we actually like to think of SweetIQ as more of a big intelligence platform where we take all of this mass information that's available out there about either local consumers or actual businesses and how they're being perceived online and then turn them into actionable insights. So I can go to a big brand and tell them, here's how this specific store is actually performing online. Here are some ideas about some of the things that you should do to increase your online presence, your visibility, how consumers are engaging with you. And inherently by them performing these actions, it'll drive more foot traffic to the store and we can help measure all of these conversions that are happening. What were
2: you doing before SweetIQ?
3: A lot of things. <laughs> um, so prior to Sweet IQ, I had I had another company where I was a, a technology consultant. Um, I worked in Vietnam for a year on a government project. I uh, did commodities trading in the Middle East, in Dubai for a few years. I had a, a, a development shop in Cairo in my hometown in Egypt. I've uh, worked for a telecom provider in New York City called Via One, where we built an international world uh, roaming phone product. Uh, so, been a little bit around the block, but always around tech. And then, of course, Sweet
2: IQ came into play, which when we come back from the break, we'll hear kind of where that idea came from and what the first steps you had to do uh, while you were developing the product.
1: Mohanad El Balachi of Sweet IQ with us this evening on today's Entrepreneur.
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
1: 726 on today's entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. And uh, Josh, we're talking with Mohanad El of Sweet IQ and
2: uh, how he harnesses the power of information. And I guess the question becomes you were doing a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of different things, although in the, in the tech space for a long time, and then Sweet IQ. So, where did this idea come come about why this
3: well I've always been a builder I've always believed in just making something either out of nothing or taking something that's not done well and doing it better Um, a few years back so it's going on six years now actually we were just looking at this it'll be six years this September for Sweet IQ Uh, Michael, my co-founder, Michael Meyer and I uh, got together. Mike had been involved, this is actually his brainchild, uh, had been involved in the online marketing space. Uh, I found tons of opportunities, tons of these local businesses that were coming to him and saying, hey, can you help us with just getting found on Google? Uh, and, you know, being the entrepreneur he is, he said, you know what, there's actually an opportunity here. There's a business that we can build around this. Reached out to me and a third uh, co-founder of ours, Rav, and we got together. And, you know, this is how Really Sweet IQ came about.
2: So, But now you had to develop a product. I mean, you were, you were doing something from scratch, right? Mm-hmm. So how long did it take to develop the product that before you got out to commercialization? Yeah,
3: we wanted to do this right. Uh, and so my my background is not marketing. I'm an engineer by trade. I did computer science and political science at Concordia. So when we joined hands, one of the real, um, you know, concepts behind Sweet IQ was let's apply an engineering process to marketing. You know, the challenge with marketing is in a lot of cases, it's fluff, or they'll just tell you, okay, we're going to do these things. And then they'll just give you a report at the end of the month, but you don't really see the work being done in between. So we needed things to be done properly so we it took us a while it took us two years to actually develop our core product because there were no interconnections we i don't want to get too technical Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of what we call apis that we need to integrate with those didn't exist back in 2010 when we started they still kind of don't exist till today so we had to build a core platform to go and get all of this information and then you know digest it and, and build products around it did you think it would take over two years to do? No, we thought it would take us like six weeks in the beginning, uh, you know, being overzealous developers, and of course uh, that, that didn't happen. How do you survive for those two, two and a half years? Uh, yeah, a lot of sweat, pain, and tears. <laughs> um, you know, I think a lot of... Savings, it, family. Yeah, I mean, in the early days, we were self-funding, and then we were fortunate enough in 2011 to connect with Real Ventures who are our first uh, found uh, our first investors here in Montreal. Uh, so we pitched them the idea of building a local marketing analytics platform that also helped big brands, and at the time was more geared towards agencies, um, actually drive performance. And so they liked the idea. They gave us our first round of funding then, and you know, it, it kind of saw us through the the rough times.
2: Now, so this is about <coughs> two and a half, three years in. Now you you you've you've also taken on. If I understand the story, you still have. You were looking at dealing with this market in the SME world, in the small business world. Did that stay like that, or did you eventually say, you know what, this is yeah. really more for bigger companies? Uh,
3: so you know, kind of a couple of things happened at the same time. Number one, we now that we were a venture-backed company, we had to hit these fairly decent slash big objectives that we uh, that were set on us, uh, and partially also self uh, self-made. Um, and we realized very quickly, us going and selling to one SMB at a time, a fifty dollar a month package was going to take a heck of a lot of SMEs to get to the numbers that we needed to hit. It just so happened that uh, at the same time, we got incubated by Cassette, which is one of the largest marketing firms here in Canada, um, and they wanted to develop a lab to allow, uh, or to promote businesses that were doing things in the technology space relating to marketing. So we were actually the first company involved in their incubator, and that opened up a new horizon for us.
2: And incubator, I mean, we hear a lot about this in Montreal. Not everybody understands what incubator is. So when we come back after the news break, we Will kind of teach the listener, for those that don't know, what an incubator is and then how that kind of drove you and your next level of success.
1: Mohanad El Borachi of Sweet IQ this evening on Today's Entrepreneur.
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
1: 7.36 on Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Fuller Landau's Josh Miller, and our guest this evening is Mohanad barachi of Sweet IQ. Uh, they do marketing analytics, and uh, so we were talking about incubators, uh, not the kind that save lives necessarily, although they can save a business. And, um, uh, and Sweet IQ, actually, uh, Mohanad uh, began in an incubator. Can you tell us about that experience?
3: Yeah. So we didn't actually quite begin an incubator, but it was part of our journey to get to where we are today. Uh, so in 2012, like I was mentioning earlier, Cassette started their Cassette Lab uh, and we were the first company in their incubator. So the idea behind an incubator is actually fairly straightforward. It's uh, Think of it like a big brother. <laughs> so a place where you go and you learn from the people that are there that have kind of more or less done it before. Um, And so we were fortunate enough to work with Cassette where they gave us an office space, uh, downtown Montreal, thrilling, um, and um, access and exposure to their clients. And so what we were able to do is take our product and start pitching it to some of their existing clients and seeing how they worked with brands. Now,
2: for a startup, I mean, it's great because the resources are there. Is it constricting as well? I mean, how much control do you maintain or not maintain and and maybe because that's a, a good example or not I'm not sure but how did you kind of feel in in handing your 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 kind of your baby yeah. uh, into this other environment I,
3: I mean you still maintain control at the end of the day I don't think that I think as a business owner you you're always in charge of this right if you let yourself get bullied around and pushed around as happens in some cases with certain other incubators that are not really incubators they're more like startup Factories, almost—they just want to get you in, take a small piece of your company, and then get you out. Um, you know, the the better, the more traditional ones, the ones that actually want to help. It's a it's a totally different story, and so we were able to gain to to maintain our control. Now,
2: well. now, what what was the the biggest op- eye opener <laughs> when you first started dealing with cassette yeah. and their customers? Yeah,
3: I think interestingly, when you start dealing with big brands, it's funny you think of a of a big company name like McDonald's or Canadian Tire. And almost unanimously, people think of just the brand and how big it is. But the reality is it's just people, right? It's people that run this company that is a multibillion-dollar company. And so what was interesting about it is uh, being at Cassette is, is seeing the human, the humans behind the brands and how that agency actually dealt with them and how they weren't uh, you know, being pampered to almost in some cases, but just being treated like very intelligent people and we can just sit down and have a conversation. And if my product suits your needs... You're going to buy it and it became really interesting to think about because we were figuring out how to sell our product for fifty dollars a pop you know hundreds or thousands of times we were you know all of a sudden had an opportunity to start pitching a client that would give us fifty thousand dollars a year Mm -hmm. and so imagine the amount of time that that would save me and that was actually a really big eye-opener for us and so we decided to to switch our, our business model and to focus more on the big brands and we had cassettes help with that to open up these doors for us.
2: Now you, you started to talk about the talent and the people around you. Uh, how many how many people are you today?
3: At, yeah, uh, at, we're at, just pushing our sixtieth employee. Now
2: in your first couple of years, was it just the three of you founders? Pretty we much? we
3: were five. Uh, so we had a programmer and a marketing guy, and that was it.
2: And you and basically you, you lots of sacrifices at the beginning. I'm sure you got lots of support from from home and yeah. your spouse. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, and now you're 60 people. Are you finding it difficult to find those people?
3: No. And, and frankly, just on that note of support, I think it's it's one very important message that I'd like to get out to startups in general, in that I think a lot of people think it's easy to come up with just an idea and build a company around it. It's brutal if you don't have the right type of support around you, both on the corporate side as well as at home. And I've been personally blessed to have an amazing wife, Anne-Marie, I'm just, thank you, uh, you know, who's been very, very helpful, very supportive um, and and understanding because in the early days, 18-hour workdays is not only a norm, it's almost expected. Uh, And so blood, sweat, and tears, man, that is truly the definition of it in the early days and sustaining. And so, you know, I think it's, it's really all around building a proper corporate culture. You're putting your heart and your soul into this company and... The way that you conduct yourself is how others in your company are going to conduct themselves. Are
2: you able to keep the same corporate culture today as when you first started? I mean, you're 60 mm-hmm. people versus when you were five or 10 people. I mm-hmm. mean, things change pretty quickly. Do you, re- will you find it easy to maintain that culture? It's
3: certainly a lot more challenging. And so I think you have to make a lot more of an effort. You know, before, we we're all in the same room. So it was kind of easy to permeate your culture across. Now we have a whole floor and we, you know, we're moving into a second floor now, closed offices. And so I think it's a matter of just making sure that you have the right against support staff around you. And so for us, we have our directors that work directly with my co-founder and I. We have weekly meetings. We spend a lot of time together. We go out for a lot of dinners and drinks and that type of stuff. And it, and if you can permeate your culture to the immediate circle that you're attached to day in and day out, then they go out and permeate it across and so forth. So it's it's all around the notion of building internal champions and stakeholders.
2: I guess that you're when you're kind of talking about that, I, I think of delegation because there's only so much that you can do or the co-founders can do after a certain point there's there's almost like there's too much on your plate. Did you ever have that feeling? It's
3: still happening. <laughs> <laughs> how do you uh, deal with it? You, you've got to start delegating. You don't have a choice. And I think it's the biggest lesson that I've personally had to learn which is how to let go. When you're You're used to wearing almost every hat in the company, giving away a few of your hats, like your head starts getting cold. (laughs) It's a silly analogy, but that's the reality of it. Uh, And so it's a matter of trusting the people that you're hiring. You're hiring people because you believe in their skill set. And if you don't empower them and if you don't believe that they can do the job that you want them to do, then you may as well not have hired them at all.
1: What is the skill set you're looking for? Because this seems to be a very, very specialized kind of business, uh, a, a lot of data. Um, what kind of uh, personality is ideal to, to, to sort of absorb this, this massive amounts of data?
3: Sure. Um, you know, it's, these days it's a lot less about the individual skill set, except if we're talking about development, if you will, programmers, because that's a very specific skill set. By the way, we're recruiting. Sorry. <laughs> um, but more importantly, it's about the mentality. Um, working at a startup is not like working in every other company. This is not a nine-to-five job. This is a lifestyle. Uh, And so you're coming in, you want to roll up your sleeves, you want to build something, you want to take ownership. And the instant that we find somebody of that character, that willingness, that eagerness, that drive, man, we leech onto that person and we're hiring them into whatever department because we're always hiring in every department. The reality is when you are a startup that's in growth mode as we are, You're always hiring nonstop, and so you're just finding talent. Now, growth mode means you know you have to do
2: some marketing. I mean, not everybody might be aware of Sweet IQ. So, do you do? I know you were with Cassette for a while, so there you have you know kind of instant marketing. But now today, like what works for you? Uh, Certain trade shows? What have you done that's maybe a little
3: different? Because we target predominantly big brands and and you know big companies. For us, trade shows is really the big circuit, and so we used to do about ten shows a year. Now, into our growth mode, I think we've already done seven trade shows from January till now uh, and so we've we've amped it up um, we've we've done really big shows like National Retail Federation show in New York City to very small siloed very specific shows like the International Franchise Association and, and you know more industry specific how do you make
2: sure you stand out I mean there's it's a it's huge rooms there's a yeah. ton of booths and kiosks everybody sure stand sounds
3: out? the same looks the same yeah. so for us it's actually all about bananas um, naturally. You know, naturally. You, you think tech company, you got to think bananas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're big fans of this show called The Rest of Development. Uh, and in there, they had a banana stand. And, and the slogan was, there's always money in the banana stand. Uh, and so we repurposed it. We literally built a trade show booth that has a banana stand in it where we hand out chocolate-covered frozen bananas. Mm-hmm. And so it's the most unusual kind of thing because you go into this show that's very serious and everybody sounds the same and everybody's wearing suits and so forth. And then you have us that are walking around in blue T-shirts handing out frozen chocolate-covered bananas, and it works every time.
2: I think it's amazing. It's another way to differentiate you, as long as they stop and find out exactly what you do and that <laughs> yeah. you're not a banana producer. Thank yeah. you so much, uh, Mohanad. Um, you know it's, it, There's so much more to talk about, uh, but as we, as we come to our, our next break, uh, Patrick Sullivan is going to be with us, Dan. And uh, kind of uh, an important topic, uh, although not everybody is aware of it. It's preferential payments. It's, uh, you know, Patrick sometimes has to deal with bankruptcies, and sometimes entrepreneurs like to pay off some of their creditors a little in the wrong order. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to talk about uh, kind of challenges and what entrepreneurs should know about that. Right. Dealing with creditors with Patrick Sullivan on the way.
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
1: Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you on today's Entrepreneur. Our guests this evening, Mohanad Elboraci of Sweet IQ, and Patrick Sullivan is back from Fuller Landau, trustee at uh, Fuller Landau. And uh, we'll talk a bit about uh, creditors, Josh, and, uh, well, you have to pay them in
2: order sometimes. You, you do, and uh, sometimes, you know, people don't plan, listen, you don't necessarily plan uh, if you're going to go bankrupt or, or you have to, you know, close up your company, but there are certain rules to follow uh, in that vein, and uh, Patrick, you've you've kind of seen it all, so maybe you can kind of just give a definition of what these what we co- we're, we're calling preferential payments are.
4: Okay, Pre- there, there's various articles in the Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act that deal with preferential payments. Preferential payments meaning payments that are done to creditors outside the normal course of business, uh, transfers of property that are done at a moment where you're vulnerable or you're technically insolvent. There's a various number of articles that deal with that. If you're dealing, corporately speaking, when you do, you know you're gonna, you're having financial difficulties and you have certain suppliers that you want to protect. Well, we'll say the word protect. Normally what you'll do is you'll try to pay them off as opposed to spreading the wealth equally amongst your creditors. Now the law provides that when you're dealing non-arm's length, in other words, you're dealing with a normal supplier, you can we can go back twelve months. We can go back and say, "Hey, guy, you weren't allowed to do this. Bring back the money." But so, if, but if they were doing it because it helped their business, it helped to bring in a little bit of profits. Uh, how do you how do you kind well, of deal it, with that? well, it's very technical because we have to demonstrate that. Uh, in in an on-arms-length on-arms transaction that you really did it to prefer a creditor versus another. If it's done in the normal course of business, it's very hard to challenge. But normally when people are having financial difficulties, it'll really pop up. You have this supplier that you owed $40,000 uh, and all of a sudden uh, uh, when the company goes bankrupt, you don't owe them anything. And you had all these other suppliers that are in the 120-day column that received nothing during that same period of time that you paid them off. Now, you talk about non-arms-length transaction. Mm-hmm. It
2: doesn't necessarily mean somebody you're related to. No. It could well, mean somebody that, you've, that you're that you just really close to. Is What well, does that mean?
4: Well, non-arms-length meaning it's a normal transaction. It's a transaction via supplier. So three months prior to a bankruptcy, no questions asked, a trustee can ask for the money back. When you're dealing with arm's length people, in other words, somebody related to you, either another shareholder, either uh, a brother, a sister, an uncle, an aunt, somebody that's that's related to the shareholders or directors, those are transactions which we call non-arm's length, and that we go back 12 months, no questions asked in order to get the money back.
2: I'm sure you've seen a lot of uh, payments and strange uh, monies going out of the company just before things bad happen. When we come back from the break, we'll kind of uh, pick your brain on those. Plus, Mohanad El is one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. That's next.
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
1: Welcome back. We'll have Mohamed Barachi's uh, one piece of advice from, for today's entrepreneur uh, on the way. But first, uh, Josh, talking about, with uh, Patrick Sullivan about uh, settling with creditors and how to go
2: about it the right way. And Patrick, you were talking about that, uh, you know, in certain circumstances, non-arm-length transactions, so people that are kind of related and close to you, you can go back 12 months. Is there any way they can go
4: back beyond 12 months? In, in a transaction where you have transferred an asset, you have transferred, for example, your home. You have transferred, you may have transferred uh, a cottage uh, up north. Uh, Then the law provides that if in doing so, if you rendered yourself insolvent, some people have million dollar homes. If you rendered yourself insolvent to the eyes of your creditors, a trustee can go back up to five years and get the money back.
2: But the proof, the onus of proof is on the creditors at that point.
4: In that case, the onus of proof is really to... You have to be able... The trustee has to be capable of demonstrating that you, at the time that you did the transfer, you indeed rendered yourself insolvent. You, now, it, what kind of assets have you
2: seen people try and get away with or transfer? I mean, what are the, some of the, the usual suspects? Uh, but the, do?
4: The, the, easier, the easier ones are homes, uh, cars, snowmobiles... Uh, chalets. I mean, those are the typical things that people want to, you know, preserve when they know they're gonna they're gonna have a financial problem. Uh, th- those are personal assets that the you know directors shareholders want to protect. Uh, those are probably the most common ones that we see regularly. Homes are are typical. I mean, uh, everybody makes sure that if they're gonna have a financial problem, that the house is gonna be in the wife's name uh you know and obviously it's it's always attackable
2: so so i guess some planning cuz you always want to plan at the best of times is maybe you want to transfer the home or the asset into somebody else's name that you're not a shareholder director as long as you're protected on the other side of
4: course Exa- but, but even though i mean it, the same story happens that if you transfer your assets and render yourself vulnerable it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be done with somebody that's non arms length uh, a trustee could attack it. They, I think the, the, key, the key is to creditor-proof yourself when you're starting up a business as opposed to when you're in financial difficulties.
2: Always lots of planning because you never think the worst is going to happen, but sometimes it is, so you have to think ahead. Thank you very much, Patrick. And uh, as we approach the last moment of our show, as we do every week, we'll turn to uh, Mohaned, Mohanad and ask you, Mo, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur?
3: I have one, but I do have to say that what you guys were talking about is actually really interesting. Uh, and, and it is it ties into what I'm talking uh, going to talk about uh, in terms of getting good advice about how to do things properly. So my one piece of advice is, first off, if you're thinking about doing a startup and you've got the drive, the passion, the commitment and really wanting to do it, don't think twice. Do it, but also do it in a smart way. And to do it in a smart way, surround yourself with <clears throat> excuse me, with the right support network, both professionally and at home. Get the right investors who will believe in you, who will give you the amount of money that really is required to build your company. But more importantly, just have people around you that are going to be able to keep you grounded when you think you're invincible and you're on the moon, but also the same people that will pick you up when you're deep in the mud and you think that your life is over. That's my one piece of advice.
2: Excellent. Thank you very much, Mohanad. Uh, Great story. Uh, Patrick, thank you very much. Dan, my one quick takeaway. It was said really quickly, but it was also where Mo understood or hit a point where he realized that he or some of the founders can't do it all. And it's okay to delegate. It's okay to ask for help. Thank you very much, Josh. Uh, back
1: next week at 7 here on Monday nights on Today's Entrepreneur. Thanks very much to Patrick Sullivan of uh, of, uh, Fuller Landau and Mohanad Albarachi of Sweet IQ. The Exchange with Dave Kaufman is next.